And welcome into a new episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for joining us here today. Well, pork suppliers were granted an additional six months to sell inventory in California that is not compliant with that state's production standards under Proposition 12. That product, however, must be produced prior to July 1st and sold before December 31st. U.S. Meat Export Federation Vice President of Economic Analysis Aaron Borer says the extension will provide a bit of relief for the supply chain. It is good news because there was concern about what happens to product because a lot of the industry has three months or so in inventory. And so, again, it is good news on product that's already in the chain for California not needing to to find a new home for that pork. Pork transit in California on its way to export markets does not have to comply with Prop 12, but USMEF still has concerns over how enforcement of Prop 12 could impact shipments moving by truck or rail to California ports. That statement needs to be on all documents of title, shipping invoices, bills of lading, and shipping manifests. And so again, trying to get clarity on whether if the statement is on the document that is traveling with the product, so for example, the shipper's bill of lading, is that sufficient? So that's kind of one question. And then another question or fact is that not all of this documentation travels physically with the product. So if the border inspection is happening there, that's where apparently these documents will be checked. Will it be okay if there's just the statement on, again, if it's just the trucker bill of lading that's with the product and everything else is electronic? So those are some of the you know seemingly minor details in the whole scheme of Prop 12, but important for those in the export business to understand what exactly will be required as far as that paperwork documentation. USMEF continues to communicate with California officials about documentation requirements for pork headed for export. For more information, please visit usmef.org. Well, dairy and beef are showing up at the same livestock. Dairy beef cattle numbers are on the rise. Paul Beck, a beef cattle nutrition specialist with Oklahoma State University Extension, says 100% dairy steers aren't worth a lot. 100% dairy steer is very low in value. So the dairies have treated those like they're a byproduct or just a kind of a waste. There's been a change in some reproductive technologies that our dairies are taking advantage of where they can use sex semen to produce heifer calves out of only their best cows to make their replacements. Then they're opened up to the freedom of using a beef type bull on their other mediocre cows because they need a pregnancy just to restart lactation. He says the resulting beef dairy cross animals are catching the attention of livestock producers. That has given us a large availability of some beef dairy crosses that are very superior to a 100% dairy animal in, in beef production performance, efficiency, and they're keeping a lot of the high quality meat characteristics that we would see with a dairy calf. So the industry is very interested in the right management of these cattle and how to best utilize those in beef production systems. Oklahoma State University is doing some research on the best ways to utilize beef dairy crosses. So at Oklahoma State, we've been doing some research with some beef on dairy crosses, looking at how to incorporate those into the finishing period, whether we go directly to finish with directly on feed and take them as a two or 300 pound animal all the way to slaughter, or if we look at them as a stalker animal and put them out on grass. 
get them a little bit bigger, a little bit more mature, more used to being a beef animal, and then getting them on feed as a larger feeder-sized calf. And again, that's Paul Beck of Oklahoma State Extension. Well, the June World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report from the USDA offered little change as expected. Mac Marshall, United Soybean Board Vice President of Market Intelligence, says the only major change was a reduction in old crop exports by 15 million bushels. That carried forward into carryout and will be uh, added to the beginning stocks that we have on September 1st as we commence the new market year. Not a lot of changes, just that update on inventories and generally in line with what the market was looking for. However, Marshall says this is an exciting time for the soy checkoff from a market standpoint as well as for checkoff activities with the USDA acreage report offering more details for the growing season in addition to upcoming attendance at the port of Grays Harbor in Washington state to see firsthand the infrastructure advancements there. At the end of the month we've of course got the acreage report coming out going to keep our eyes on that. I'm really excited for around then the last week of the month our executive committees going to be gathering out near Grays Harbor Washington for an executive committee meeting which is really exciting because out there we're actually going to get to see firsthand the Port of Grace Harbor and uh, the expansion that's underway out there. Really important for the infrastructure advancement that we're having in the U.S. to help facilitate what are likely going to be increased meal exports in the year to come as more and more crush comes online. For now, he says the markets are following the weather and crop progress reports. We, of course, got off to a great start with planting, and now it's all about um, the weather conditions that we're going to have. Certainly some dryness and pressure in different parts of the Midwest, so we'll be looking for getting the right weather at the key stages of crop development, particularly as we head into July. You can keep up to date with the latest news from the United Soybean Board online, unitedsoybean.org, unitedsoybean.org, and Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on RFD-TV. While USDA is vying for greater access to the Indian market for U.S. farm goods, short of a free trade deal, India's Prime Minister Modi visited the U.S. last week, while USDA's Undersecretary for Rural Development, Sochil Torres Small, led a U.S. delegation to the G20 Ag Ministerial in India days earlier. While I was there, I had the chance to uh, experience a, a Taste of America event, which we held, which is a marketing event. Uh, And during that time where American food products were featured in uh, Indian cuisine, I had uh, two importers actually just come up to me and say, hey, we're interested in more wholesale almonds. The U.S. has no trade agreement with India, but Torres Small says USDA is pressing for more market access in India, the 13th largest export destination for U.S. products at nearly $1.8 billion in 2021. The bilateral conversations that we have associated with visits like this are are crucial, and we're seeing positive results. Uh, So together, the USDA and USTR under President Biden have delivered $15 billion in new or preserved market access through this active policy intervention with foreign governments. And despite the Biden administration's conscious decision not to do politically difficult free trade deals with potentially bigger results, India is still a ripe target to boost U.S. ag sales. India was the third largest export destination in 2021 for U.S. tree nuts, fourth largest for ethanol, fifth for soybean oil, and eighth for cotton exports. The country opened its market for U.S. pork products last year, and Torres Small says India will start importing U.S. cherries in July. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode of American Ag Today. If you have stories for the program, send them to me via email, Allen at AmericanAgNetwork.com, J-E-S-S-E-A-L-L-E-N at AmericanAgNetwork.com. 
American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day.